It is my honor today to talk about the theme for this year, the theme for our VBS, and to introduce where it is we're going to be heading and studying for the next five days together. If you've been to Washington, D.C., one of the unique features about our state's capital is the many monuments that exist. There are some of famous people, many of presidents are are captured in stone, but if you walked around the mall, you will see several monuments devoted to wars and the memorializing of the soldiers who fought in those wars, like the Second World War or the Korean War or the Vietnam War. And these monuments, if you've been there before or even if you've just seen the picture, when you stand and you gaze at these monuments, they, they fill you with so much emotion tension in those emotions because in one sense there's immense sadness over realizing what took place Uh, there was a great conflict and there was evil and there was battles and there was life that was lost and that is what it's trying to help us to remember but there's also a great sense of gratitude and, and thankfulness for every soldier for every life that stepped in the way to try and bring about what was right and just and fair and gave their lives for the things that often we take for granted There's some among us who have faced that firsthand. There's some among us who have been engaged in conflict and in wars and in fought and have been part of our our country's military. And for many of those, especially as it was for some of our older family members, like my grandfather, they know it, they never forget it, but oftentimes they don't talk about it because the memory of what that conflict was like was too difficult. But I would say I think for the majority of us, we see... We remember such evil and conflict exists, but then we walk away from said memorials and it's not too long that we just sort of forget because life is good and we're at peace. And we as God's people forget all too often that every single day we are engaged in a great conflict and a war that began from the very beginning. In Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 10 Paul writes, finally be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the full armor of God so that you will be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness and heavenly places. Peter would say it this way. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against the soul. Don't lose sight that though there are not bullets and bombs going off around us, that you and me, we are engaged in a great battle. A battle that takes place within the soul. That is the theme of this year's Vacation Bible School, VBS. The battle begins. The emphasis will be on the first half of our Old Testament, and it is looking to the reality that the people of God are at war with the evil one. I will tell you, if if we can get that in the forefront of our mind, every thought we think, every decision we make changes when we remember we are at conflict with Satan, and there's a battle that is being fought. So today, if you have your note cards, we're going to look at five truths that God's warriors need to remember. Five truths that apply to God's warriors, and the first is this, that God's warriors know their enemy. We know the enemy. We know who he is. We know who it is we are engaged against, and the enemy is not our neighbor. 
The enemy is not non-believers. The enemy is not those who don't know Jesus and are aggressive against Jesus, even those who are hostile to the name of Jesus. Those are not the enemy. In fact, Paul would describe said people in 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 24 by saying the Lord's bondservant must not be quarrelsome, but be kind to all, able to teach, patient when wronged, with gentleness, correcting those who are in opposition, if perhaps God may grant them repentance, leading to the knowledge of the truth. And they may come to their senses and escape the snare of the devil, having been held captive by him to do his will. How does Paul see those who are active in sin, active against God's ways? They're our enemy? No, they're captives. They're captives to the evil one. In fact, they are those who perhaps more than any can be a demonstration of our love of, uh, for Christ. Because Jesus says to love our enemy and to pray for those who persecute us. So the enemy is not those who don't believe in God, our neighbors, even those who are aggressive to the cause of Christ, those aren't our enemies. And we need to remember, and we say this, and we say this, and we say this again and again and again because we don't listen, we don't listen, we don't listen. We are not the enemy. We are not enemies. I urge Yodia and I urge Sintichi to live in harmony in the Lord. We're not always going to see eye to eye on everything. And there are sometimes our personalities, our opinions, our judgments will conflict with one another, but we are not the enemy. And when we choose to sling mud at one another and get aggressive with one another and take to Facebook against one another, we are doing nothing more than exactly what our enemy wants us to do, to do his work for him. Paul says, if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another, and that's exactly what Satan would want. I want you to tear each other apart. I want you to become so polarized because of your opinions and your preferences and your, and your thoughts and your judgments that you just rip and tear into one another. We are not the enemy. There is one who is the enemy who has been around since the beginning. We don't know his story. We don't know where he came from. All we know is that since the very beginning, this devil, this Satan has sinned. The Son of God appeared for this person that he might destroy the works of the devil. From the very beginning, this adversary has arrived. And Jesus would say in John 8, verse 44, you were of your father the devil. You want to do the desires of your father. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. Whenever he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own nature. For he is a liar and the father of lies. You know, he's a murderer. He prompts an evil in the hearts of people to see no good in one another. And so we're going to tear down one another. We're going to destroy one another. Murder. He's deceitful. He's, his weapon is the mind and lies. He's described by Peter as a roaring lion seeking to devour the soul. In 2 Corinthians 4 and verse 4, Paul describes him as the little g God of this world, describing not only his power but his influence and the scope of his influence in this world. 
In Luke 8 and verse 12, in the story that Jesus tells about the sower, we get a glimpse that Satan's goal, Satan's battlefield is not the body. If he wanted to destroy us, he could send a tidal wave here, maybe not in Texas, a tornado here in Dallas, and it would wipe us all out. But his aim is not the body. His aim is the heart. His weapon is deception. And Jesus says those, the seed that was sown behind, beside the road, are those who have heard. And then the devil comes and takes away the word from their heart. Why is it some don't believe the truth? Why is it some, even when confronted with the truth, they reject it? Because Satan is at work. His deception is strong. His lies are easily grasped. In 2 Corinthians 2 verse 11, we are not ignorant. It's not that we don't know how he works. It's not that we don't know his ploy. In fact, he would say in this same book, in chapter 11 and verse 3, he says, I'm afraid lest as a serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness, what's that word? Your minds should be led astray from the simplicity and purity of devotion to Christ. What's he saying? I'm afraid that what he did in the very beginning, he's going to do to you and to me too. That he's going to lead us astray. Satan has used family to influence and to lead astray. He has used friends to sow wrongful seeds of evil works and evil ideas. He has used those in close association, trusted individuals to sow doubt, to distract from God's plan. He's even used brethren to be a negative example, a leaven of evil among the people of God. Well, he wants more than anything, brethren. He wants to destroy this church. He wants to corrupt our shepherds. He wants to silence our teachers and our preachers. He wants to destroy and to end our marriages. He wants to distract our children and distort our homes. He wants our soul. But there's two things we need to remember. Number one, greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. No matter how strong Satan seems, God is stronger yet. Far stronger than Satan would ever be, which is why James could say, secondly, submit then to the stronger power. Submit yourselves to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. It is not impossible to win the battle over temptation and over the evil one. So it starts here. God's warriors know the enemy, and this is the enemy we are facing. Secondly, God's warriors follow his battle plan. We follow God's plan. Freshman year of basketball when we were playing in Raymore, Missouri, my coach had a plan, and it was really clear. Every practice, it was always the same. When you get the ball and you're on a fast break, you make it to the basket. You just go to the basket. You just put it in, straight to the rim. Don't be fancy. Just get the ball, get to the rim. And yet every game, it seemed like, when we were playing ninth grade basketball, there was one kid on our team. I won't say his name in case he listens, but you did need to listen to the coach. He didn't listen. We would be on the fast break, and he would have the ball, and he would stop at the three-point line and chuck that thing, and it would go straight into the stands. Immediately, there would be a timeout. He would call him to the bench, and I could see the coach doing this with the player and telling him. He'd send them back in. He'd get the rebound. He'd be on a fast break. He'd stop at the three and shoot a three. Timeout, pull him out again. He didn't listen to the plan. God's people follow God's plans. God's warriors follow God's plans. Can you remember in the story of Scripture when there were some who chose to try and do God's work their way, not God's way? Like Abraham and Sarah who chose the path of Hagar instead of conceiving on their own. 
like David who chose to build a cart for the ark because it was a lot faster and more convenient. Like Peter who thought, I'm going to save Jesus by swinging a sword, defending Jesus my own way. When we try and do God's work our way, it will always fail. In your Bibles, go with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 2. 1 Corinthians chapter 2. One of the ways that you and me, we can do this, that we try and do God's work our way, looks like this in 1 Corinthians chapter 2. Verse 1, here's what Paul says. He says, when I came to you, brethren, I did not come with superiority of speech or of wisdom, proclaiming to you the testimonies of God. For I determined to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. And my message and my preaching were not in persuasive words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and the power so that your faith would not rest on the wisdom of men, but on the power of God. Well, one of the ways that we rely, lean on our own means, our own power, our own way is when we try and pull people to the gospel through our cleverness, our gimmicks. Let's just do things our way. We want to pull people in through entertainment. We want to pull people in through catchy statements, through catchy gimmicks. And Paul says, I came in simplicity, but I came through the gospel. It was just the truth. Not persuasive means, not persuasive words, just what it is it says. We do it this way. We do God's work our way when we, as Paul would say, try to overcome evil with evil, and we justify it. Well, if I don't shut them up, if I don't answer them, who will? If I don't stop them, if I don't tell them that they're doing wrong, and if I don't do it aggressively, they're not going to listen. Well, that's what Satan would say. That we respond to evil with evil. That we respond to insult with insult. That we respond to rudeness with rudeness. And yet the way of God is often so opposite than what you and I would respond with. I mean, who would ever tell a man in the first part of the world to build a boat when it's never rained like that? Or Joshua to walk around the city again and again and again and again. Or Gideon and his armies to pare it down to 300 when they were far outnumbered. It's not that Paul says, I want you to equip yourselves and the best wisdom you have for this life. Because you know what's best. You know how to handle every situation and every conflict the best. I want you to armor yourself with the armory of God. To equip yourselves. To direct yourselves. To direct your steps, not by your way, but by God's way. The warriors of God follow his battle plan. Thirdly, the warriors of God endure faithfully. They have long suffering. They are able to engage in the enemy and they face conflict again and again and again. They're like that tree that's planted by the water and the roots are dug down deep. And when that wind blows and it blows and it blows, it is not moved. It's what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15 and verse 58. Be my beloved brethren, be steadfast and movable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your toil is not in vain in the Lord. And so God's warriors endure and they're able to endure. The commitment is made, their choice is said, and so they're not moved. And so when Satan tries to lure us away from God and says, you know, I know you're committed to this path, but if you would just break God's commandments and follow me, you'd have a lot more pleasure, have a lot more power, you'd have a lot more money, you'd have a lot more happiness. And we say, no, I've, I've made my decision, my roots are set, I will not be moved, I'm steadfast, I'm secure. Then Satan says, okay. If I can't lure you off, then I'm going to blow you off that rock. 
And so I'm going to take away your friends. And I'm going to take away your brethren. I'm going to make it feel like you're all alone and no one's on your side. And I'm going to strike you and your family with sickness and disease. I'm going to remove your job and your wealth. I'm going to take everyone that you love and I'm going to thrust them down the valley of life, of the valley of death. Can I say then? Can I say even then? You take everything that means the most to me in this life, I still am not moving. You can hit me with the worst that you have. You can take everything that means the most, but I'm not moving. My mind is made up, my decision is set, and I have made up my mind. I'm with Jesus to the end. Even as Jesus said to the church in Smyrna when he says, Do not fear what you're about to suffer. Behold, the devil is about to cast some of you into prison that you may be tested and you will have tribulation for 10 days. Be faithful until death, to the point of death, and I will give you the crown of life. Can I get there? Would I be a Joseph putting my life on the line in Egypt but doing what is right and faithful to God? Would I be a Daniel who would continue to pray knowing it meant a lion's den? Or would I be the friends of Daniel and continue to to stand when others are bowing even though I knew it would face a fiery furnace? Would I be the apostles in the first century who didn't have air-conditioned buildings and people who wanted to listen to them, but they preached the gospel realizing it would lead them to death? Would I be faithful then? Even to the point of death. James uses a really unique phrase in talking about this in James 1 when he says in verse 12, Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial, for when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life which God has promised to those who, notice, love him. Isn't that interesting? Those who love God endure the test. Those who really love God stand firm when things are hard. It's that we say to God, even though this is hard, even though this hurts, you're worth it to me. You're worth the suffering to me. You're worth the loss of friendship and health to me. You're worth the persecution to me. You, you mean more to me than any pain that I could endure or loss that I could incur. And if I had to choose again and again and again, I would choose you every time. Blessed are those who are faithful under trial. They are proving that God means more to them than life, than life itself. God's warriors fourthly engage the enemy. It's not merely that we are defending against them, and that certainly is found in the language of Ephesians chapter 6 about our shield of faith, uh, quenching the darts, the fiery darts of the evil one. But God has equipped us with the ability to engage the enemy with courage like Elijah, or boldness like Paul who preached the truth. God has given us the sword of the Spirit, the Word of God, which is our ability, our source, our answer to the evil one of vanquishing him and cutting down his lies. Think of this. And and when Satan came against uh, Jesus, again and again in the 40 days in the desert, when Jesus in the wilderness is being tempted by Satan, every single time his response is, It is written, which is an indication for Jesus then and the people of God today that if Satan's goal and Satan's weapon is lies and deceptions and his aim is the mind, the answer and response to the working of Satan is truth. It's truth. It's the word of God. 
all scripture is inspired by God and is able to improve, reprove, rebuke. I, don't, I lost that. Let's go into our Bible, 2 Timothy chapter 3. I had it in my mind and I had it in the pew. And as we were singing, I was singing the verse, and it left. Let's not even try and get in my mind. Second Timothy chapter 3 and verse 16. All Scripture is inspired by God and is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work. There it is. I was thinking today because Josh in our Bible class made a great statement that those who God calls, he equips. Those who God calls, he equips. Can I ask you something? If the sword of the Spirit, our weapon, is described as the Word of God... And Satan's weapon is lies, deception. I want you to believe something that's false and lead you in a way that's false. Like, what, what part of this is what we need in order to defend against the, the evil one? Well, what part of this word is the important chunks that we need in order to be, to be true, to be equipped? Can you do it with me to the best of your ability? I may get off the train. Just stay with me and help me if I get lost. Genesis. Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua, Judges, Ruth, 1 Samuel, 2 Samuel, 1 Kings, 2 Kings, 1 Chronicles, 2 Chronicles, Ezra, Nehemiah, Esther, Job, Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Song of Solomon, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Lamentations, Ezekiel, Daniel, Hosea, Joel, Amos, Obadiah, Jonah, Micah, Nahum, Habakkuk, Zephaniah, Haggai, Zechariah, Malachi, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans, 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, 1 and 2 Thessalonians, I broke the rhythm, 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, Titus, Philemon, Hebrews, James, 1 Peter, 2 Peter, 1 John, 2 John, 3 John, Jude, Revelation. Does your mind walk through the books? You take in for a moment the message God has given to us. I want to provoke us with something for a minute, brethren. The defense God has given to us and the offense God has given to us is the Word of God. We've been reading and studying with our kids this, this quarter about Judges and Samuel, and there's a statement that is made in 1 Samuel 3 and verse 1 that the Word of the Lord was rare in those days. I heard a quote, I want to leave it with you and let you think about something. Have we got a Bible in our hands? Let us prize it, read it, and commit the precious truths to heart and mind. It is not an inalienable possession. 
It may not be ours forever. Is the Bible still preached in our church? Let us love to hear the word of God. Let us be urgent to bring others an earshot of it. It is not our guaranteed privilege. The voice of the preacher could be silenced and the truth of God our only defense against error. I wonder. It is not so far-fetched to believe that there will be a time when we don't have a Bible in our midst. Could it be that we have become so accustomed to having the Word of God among us that maybe we've not given it the respect that it deserves. Imagine. Can you imagine with me? How would we listen differently if this Bible was read, if we didn't have one in our own possession, and this is our time to hear that word? How differently would we listen to the preaching of the gospel if I didn't have the Word of God in my possession. What if the Word of God would be different in the way that I think throughout the week? Grabbing and holding and trying to memorize if I didn't have continual access to it. Even to my brothers today, I was thinking about this through what something Brother Tom said, which was so true. And the songs that we sing, so often the modern songs and the new songs are prompted to lead to emotion to produce emotion, starting with emotion and not truth. It's meant to manipulate and allow us to feel something rather than ask the question, what am I knowing? What is this asking? And I want my brothers to think about this. As you are leading singing, you are doing the same thing that Ricky and I do when we preach, the Bible classes or uh, teachers are doing when they teach. You are teaching us through those songs, and I ask you to, to, to consider, what are you teaching to us? What do we need to know? What difference would it be, brethren, if we didn't have the Word of God? What difference would it be if our times was a lot like, like Amos chapter 8 and verse 11? Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord God, when I will send a famine on the land. Not a famine of bread, nor thirst for water, but of hearing the words of the Lord. They shall wander from sea to sea and from north to east, and they shall run to and fro and to seek the word of the Lord, but they shall not find it. Here's the point. Our defense and our offense against the evil one is truth. Not my truth. Not your truth. God's word, which is truth. And if I want to stand firm and win the battle over the evil one, I need to be a person of the truth. In your Bibles, go with me to Psalm 119. Psalm 119 and verse 127. Psalm 119 and verse 127, here's what the psalmist says. Psalm 119 and 127. Just listen. Listen to the language. Listen to the love. Listen to the appreciation and the application of the word of God. Therefore, I love your commandments above gold. Yes, above fine gold. Therefore, I esteem right all your precepts concerning everything. I hate every false way. Your testimonies are wonderful. Therefore, my soul observes them. The unfolding of your words gives light. It gives understanding to the simple. I open my mouth wide and panted, for I long for your commandments. Turn to me and be gracious to me after your manner with those who love your name. 
Establish my footsteps in your word, and do not let any iniquity have dominion over me. Redeem me from the oppression of man, that I may keep your precepts. Make your face shine upon your servant, and teach me your statutes. My eyes said streams of water, because they do not keep your law. Righteous are you, O Lord, and upright are your judgments. Do you, do you hear that? I love your law, and I want to walk in your law, and I want to keep your law, and your law means everything to me. That's what we're trying to get back to. It's a people who know the word. It's a people who love the word. It's a people who are committed to this word. Our faith depends on the word of God. This church and who it is we are and will be depends on following the word of God. Circling back in our worship, all that we do must be in accordance to the word of God. Is there emotion in, the, in our worship? Yes, but it is emotion that is prompted by truth. I respond to what it is I know to be true and see to be true. We are people who walk the truth. God's people engage the enemy, but we engage the enemy the truth. So this week, let's just love this word and appreciate this word and write this word on our hearts. And then lastly, let's get to our last one. That is God's warriors prepare for battle. We know the battle is coming. We know that we're going to face the evil one. And so we take the time. We prepare our hearts to engage the enemy. This means in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8, that we are sober-minded, sober-minded. We take every day seriously. Satan doesn't take a holiday. He doesn't take a rest, and so neither do the people of God. Even at home, even at work, even on vacation, Satan is there. And so every day, every choice, we are conscious of our choices, conscious of this battle. That sounds exhausting. It is exhausting. It is but the people of God are always vigilant to make sure we are fighting this battle and standing firm against the evil one. It means, as we just read, that we are putting on the armor of God, and every piece of that armor is related to truth and the understanding of truth and the application of truth. Whether I am the belt and fixing myself or wrapping myself in truth, or the shoes and I am standing on that gospel, or the righteousness, which is an application or obedience to the truth or it's the helmet of salvation which is shown to us by truth or the shield of faith faith comes by truth or the sword of God which is the truth we're just a people who have put on truth God's word makes and ships and equips us to who it is we need to be and if we put on the armor of God we've done everything having done everything to stand firm and we're a people we're a band of brothers Camaraderie of soldiers who don't do this alone. Take care, the Hebrew writer says, brothers, lest there be in any one of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day, as long as it's called today, lest none of you be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Can we come back to that thought for just a moment, that we are not enemies? Did we say that today, we're not enemies? Do you know what the application of that looks like? I may not be agreeing with you right now, and maybe there are some things that are known between me and you. And we don't see eye to eye on things. Maybe we don't see eye to eye on the way the word of God reads and the application of that word. Maybe we don't see eye to eye on how this looks like in our lives and our personal choices. And I can choose to run you up and down the mud and to talk about you behind your back and I'm just doing the work of the evil one. I can choose to have nothing to do with you and to separate myself because you are different from me and your application is different from mine. And I can do that. I can. But not if I want you to go to heaven. 
Not if I want to stand side by side with you before the throne of God. Can't, can't we see that? That every time we get so upset with one another and bothered by one another that we just want to split and withdraw from one another, that is just the, the fog of Satan saying, you can't work this out, you can't be at peace, so you need to be enemies and you need to pull apart. Why can't we work this out together? Why can't we keep reaching and praying and talking and seeing things through together? Why can't we discuss instead of debate? Why can't we find peace instead of always finding reasons to fight? We can do this together. That's the whole point. Satan's doing everything he can against you because he's doing it against me. And I don't want to make you my enemy. I want you to succeed. I want you to thrive. I want you to walk with Christ even though we're not going to see eye to eye because there's going to come a day and he's going to be after me too. And I want to know that if I'm going to stand by you and pray for you and help you and encourage you that in the times that I am weak, you're going to do the same for me. The way that I prepare for battle is I'm preparing for it together. We're going to fight this together. We're going to handle this disagreement together. We're going to resolve conflict together. Family doesn't split. Family works it through. I had a lot of tension in thinking about this this week, and I thought, you know, I... This reminds me of something I've seen somewhere, and then it clicked. In The Lord of the Rings, there's a moment in the first movie, the same tension when Frodo is realizing the weight of what has been pushed on him to bear this ring all the way to the fires of Mount Doom and realizing the cost it's going to bring along the way, he says to Gandalf the Grey, I-, I wish the ring had never come to me. And Gandalf's reply and great wisdom is, so do all who live to see such times. Have you, have you felt that before? I just, I wish Genesis 3 wasn't on the pages of God's word. That Satan never was there. There was never a tempter. There was never that serpent. There was never that evil worker who came in and did his things. I I wish so much looking back that this life existed the way that God wanted it to and he wasn't there, but that's not for ours to decide. He is, and he is real. And brethren, he wants everyone who is here today, even our most precious babes, he wants them in his hands. So there's two things we need to remember. Number one, we can win every day. Every single day. We can win. We can win every single battle. Will we? First John 1 teaches likely not. First John 1 says if we say we have no sin, we lie. But it is possible to win. It is possible to overcome. It is possible to be faithful, and that's when we remember, secondly, that the battle belongs to the Lord. It's not in my strength. It's not in my power. It's not in my wisdom. It is when I walk and lie and rely and and lean on the grace and the power of God. We can't do this alone, but with God we can win. Hear that again, because this is what we're going to do right now, right now. I can't do this alone. I can't win this battle alone. I can't. I can't overcome Satan alone. 
I can't overcome those hardships alone, but with God, I can win the battle. And so today may be the time, right now, when I need to sing, I need you. I need your forgiveness. I need your grace. I need your mercy. I I need that in my life. And so I am coming today, this very moment. I'm not waiting another moment, and I'm coming down because I need that. I need that grace. I need that forgiveness. I need you in my life. I can't do this anymore, and I need you. But it could also be, as we're standing and singing, we as children of God, perhaps burdened through things that have happened in our life, can cry out to our Lord, I can't. I can't carry this burden anymore. I can't. I can't keep living the way that I've been living, and I, I need you. I need your grace. I need your help. I need your forgiveness. I need you, and I need you now. If we can be the person to help and to pray, if we can help you come, let's come so now. Thank you for connecting with us this morning. We're so thankful that you were able to do that. If you have questions, we'd love to have the opportunity to talk to you. You can contact us at www.thebibleway.com or questions at thebibleway.com. Questions at thebibleway.com. We'd love to have you in person. Come if you can, but thank you for connecting with us.